All right, so you may or may not agree, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out an opinion that I have. I think that one of the most important exercises that we can engage in just habitually in life is asking questions. Asking questions, lots and lots and lots of questions. It does not matter what the circumstance is, does not matter what the topic is. Asking questions will benefit us and it will enrich whatever it is that we find ourselves dealing with. It's even better if we ask good questions and best if we ask the right questions, but even any questions are good. Any questions are good. Any questions are better than no questions at all. And nowhere do I think questions are more helpful than when it comes to our faith. Does that surprise anybody that a pastor would say such a thing? That asking questions about our faith is a good idea? I think it's unfortunate that so often we suppress that natural curiosity that sense of wondering, that's something that I believe that God put into us that was meant to draw us closer to his heart. And so it's unfortunate that we kind of suppress that when, when God put that mechanism in us because he is a God that pursues us and he desires to be pursued. And part of that process is asking questions. That, that mechanism in us that wonders about things and wrestles with things, it was meant to lead us to his heart. So ask your questions about whatever it is in life that you're asking questions about and listen for the answers. And specifically today, I want to talk about how, especially when it comes to the scriptures, Questions are important. So even though this sermon series is not called How to Read the Bible, it's kind of like a default secondary theme because when we approach the Bible, especially the parts that might be really familiar to us, we might not be in the habit of asking good questions. And this is because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago we think we already know the answers. And a couple of weeks ago, my request to you if you were here was for you to hold loosely to your answers that you think you know during this series because we're exploring all things related to Jesus. So the actual title of the sermon series is Follow Me, The Life and the Love of Jesus. And as we talked about earlier this morning, Paige talked about how we desire to be a people, we aspire to be a people who follow Jesus everywhere. We have to learn who he is. So today I want to spend some time with some pretty familiar imagery surrounding Jesus. And that is of him being our shepherd. Jesus being our shepherd. And the reason that I brought up all that stuff about questions is because the passage that we're going to look at about Jesus being our shepherd is one of those passages that might be familiar and it contains a couple of scriptures that are often lifted out of their context and they're treated with sloppy hermeneutics. Now hermeneutics may be a new word for you. Hermeneutics is a term that refers to the frameworks that we use to interpret the Bible. 
right? Hermeneutics. So if we oversimplify it just a little bit, we could say that hermeneutics is just asking good questions. Asking good questions about scripture. Questions that not only, because like you understand there's the language, there's the literal language of the Bible, but that's not all there is to it. We also have to ask ourselves questions like, who were the original hearers of this material? What might it have meant to them? What would they have understood this text to mean? What were some of the cultural and the historical factors of the day? What was the reality of those people that were, you know, what were they facing in their culture and and in their place in history? Where was the text written? Under what circumstances was it written? Paul's letters from prison, a little bit different than Paul's letters from, you know, his vacation home, you know, on the Sea of Galilee or whatever. No, that's not really true. Don't, Don't write that down. What was the genre of the book? Genre means like what type of literature was it? Psalms is a different genre of scripture than is the gospels. Is it narrative? Is it poetry? What was the point? What was the purpose? What was the original purpose of the writing? And so on and so on and so on. Lots and lots of questions. All of these questions, if we ask them, they can help us get to a better understanding of what the Bible is actually trying to communicate. Hermeneutics. And I hope we could all agree that that's an important exercise. Because we're saying that we want to follow Jesus. We want to pattern our life after him. We want to emulate him. We want to imitate him. We want to allow ourselves to be transformed into his image. So one of the questions we should probably be asking ourselves is, who is he? What is he like? We're going to look at a passage, and then we'll talk through it just a little bit today. So we're going to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, and I'm going to read. That's a lot of verses, you guys. Don't check out on me. Context is important. Not picking things up and putting them on a refrigerator magnet and calling it good. We want to become students of of passages of scripture, understanding where they are at in relation to the rest of the word of God. So I'm going to read read this passage, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, and then we'll, we'll unpack it after that. So starting in verse 1, this is Jesus speaking. He says, very truly... I tell you, Pharisees, that's a, that's a hermeneutical clue. Who was he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And his sheep follow because they know his voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus tried again. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Because in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. Let me read that one more time. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. That's a profound statement. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. There is so much there. So much in this passage. I could go on for hours. I, like, don't worry, I, I won't. I won't, but I could. I could. I absolutely, absolutely could. But really quickly, before I hit the main points that I want to make today, um, here's a, a vital hermeneutical tidbit. The first one. So Jesus came to earth when Jesus was born and became a human and was incarnated. When Jesus came to earth, it was during a time in Israel's history where the entire nation was desperately anticipating, waiting, waiting, waiting for the prophesied Messiah. They thought he was going to come. He was going to fix everything. He was going to free them from the Romans. They had not heard from a prophet in a long time. They were desperately waiting for the Messiah that was prophesied. And periodically, a person would come along and they would claim to be that person. It's, it's like cult leaders today. If you, if you Google, like, you Google people who claim to be Jesus, there's a pretty long list of those people even now, right? People that claim that they're Jesus and, and his, you know, Jesus' second coming because we're waiting now, that kind of thing. So back then, there were people that claimed they were the one. They were the Messiah. And so in the beginning of the passage, Jesus sets out, and he's using this analogy to inform the Pharisees, who had explicitly said he was talking to, that those false messiahs were in fact false. And what he's saying is, here is how you can tell the difference between me and them. Here is what's different. They climb in another way. They are not coming through the gate, and the sheep don't follow them. 
They don't actually care for the sheep, and they run off when things get hard. Jesus is drawing a contrast here between the way he cares for the people and the way that the imposters don't care for the people. And that's important because, listen, nowhere in this passage, in this particular passage, is there any concept of the sheep being vetted in any way, the sheep being judged, not a part of this passage. It is the shepherd's worthiness and his legitimacy that are at issue and being discussed. And yet, I have heard this passage multiple times poorly preached in support of the idea that you have to go to the gate, you have to go to Jesus, and you have to see if he will condescend to let you in. And if you don't perfectly obey his voice in every circumstance of your life, well, you must not belong to him. Because if you were really his sheep, you would know his voice and you would do everything right all the time. So if you mess up, you must not really be his. Can I just say, it absolutely infuriates me when I hear scripture preached through a hermeneutic of shame and fear. And this is one of those passages that is misused. Are you sure you're safe? Are you sure you're in? You better watch out. God might get you. Is this the character of our God? Is this what we really think of him? Listen, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, and now he is saying to us, here is how you can tell that I am the real thing. I am the true shepherd, the good shepherd. And what is at issue here is that Jesus is saying, I can be trusted. I can be trusted. And here is some of the evidence that he gave that that is the case. Number one, Jesus is the kind of shepherd who leads. This quote from the Believer's Bible Commentary, fantastic. When the true shepherd brings out his own sheep, he does not drive them, but he leads them. He does not ask them to go anywhere that he himself has not first gone. He is ever out in front of the sheep as their savior, their guide, and their example. When my husband was in the military, there was a, a concept that, and he was, a, he was a staff sergeant, and so he had leadership over other soldiers, and there was a concept that, that they would repeat that... Um, uh, NCOs lead from the front, non-commissioned officers, sergeants. They lead from the front, which means they don't stand in the back out of the way of danger and point and tell their soldiers where to go. They are charging on the front line. They are showing the way. They are, they are putting themselves in harm's way right along with the men that they serve. And that is the picture here. Jesus leads from the front. He entered into the experience of human beings. He didn't stand far off with his arms crossed and an angry look on his face and say, come on, people, get it together. That is not his posture. He said, let me become one of you. Let me become a human being so that I can show you the way. And he did that. Dying for us, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. 
So it is not a matter of us earning our spot in his flock. It is a matter of him calling us by name and leading us along a path that he is familiar with. He is familiar with. He leads us out. He goes ahead and he knows the way that we too should go. There's no trick here. There's no bait and switch. There's no trick. He wants us, as it says later in the passage, his heart for us is that we would go out and come in and find pasture. That's symbolic of us having the kind of life that we were designed to have. Complete with the protection and the provision and the care that are inherent in the posture of a shepherd, or at least in the posture of a good shepherd. Number two, Jesus is the kind of shepherd who heals. Let's talk about verse nine. Verse nine in particular, I am the gate, Jesus says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is another verse that's misused. It's made to be about who is in and who is out. But the sheep are already his in this passage. Like, that's not the question being discussed. The sheep are already his. So here's what it actually means that Jesus is the gate and why also it matters very much the questions that we ask, that we ask the right questions. What was the common shepherding practice of the day that was being referred to in this analogy? And once we answer that question, what can that tell us about Jesus? That's the question. So the shepherds of the day, they had pens to keep the flock contained in, mostly during the night for safety, but probably not just at night, but but during the night for sure. It looks something like this. Just a stone stone enclosure just so that they weren't all wandering out and, you know, they could just be kind of contained, kind of like baby gates are for those of us who have toddlers in our lives. but um, Most days, the shepherds would take the sheep from the pen and they would go out into the hills or wherever and they would, they would graze and they would, you know, they'd find the river, that imagery from Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. That's the shepherd took the sheep to the, the water. They got them the grass that they needed. They knew where the best grass was. They wandered around. They go, they go out, they come in, and they find pasture. So what is the gate all about? The gate is the little opening there in the picture that you can, I hope you can see that pretty well. But Jesus says he is the gate. So what's the gate all about? Here it is. When it was time to gather the sheep in at night, when it was time to gather them all up, the shepherd would stand in that doorway And he would examine each sheep as it came through. He would look at each one. And remember, he knows them. One of the the commentaries that I read said, uh, many shepherds were so familiar with their sheep that they could tell which one it was by the feel of their head in the dark. That's That's a tender thought that I have, that that's how Jesus... That's how well he knows me. So he would examine each of his sheep 
as it came into the pen, and he would check to see if it was healthy. Did it have briars or burrs or something tangled in its fur? Did, had it wandered through one of those sticker bushes? Did it need those picked out? He would check for parasites. I don't know if they have ticks in Israel, but if we had sheep in Missouri, we would sure have to check them for ticks. Pick those off. He looked for wounds. Had they been scratched? Had they, had they stumbled and, and hurt their leg on the rocky path during the day? Whatever it was that that sheep needed in that moment as it came into the gate to be whole and healthy and well, he would provide that for them in that moment. Grooming, medicine, healing for their wounds. You may have heard one or more of the teaching team say this before, but the word in the Bible for heal and save, those are the same word in most cases. The word is sozo. And it is a holistic term because it it refers to the entirety of the person and their well-being and also in in its um, grammatical tense. It refers to something that it's a process that has happened already. It is happening now and it will happen in the future. Jesus is a shepherd that is tender toward his sheep. And out of a place of that intimate knowledge of who we are and what we need, he is constantly ministering to us exactly what we need to be whole. Exactly what we need. That is what it means that he stands in the gate. Number three, Jesus is the kind of shepherd that protects. So here's the other thing about the Jesus as the gate analogy. When all the sheep were safely in for the night, the shepherd would position himself lying in that doorway across the entrance of the sheepfold. I think the message is clear. If you want to get to my sheep, you're going to have to go through me. This is a protective posture. He is guarding the sheep from danger. From the wolves and the, and the thieves that are described in the passage. I am the good shepherd, he says in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Everyone else runs away. Jesus says, but not me. These are my sheep, and I would do anything to protect them. Even if it kills me. So the end of this passage is where he really brings this analogy home. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now his listeners were probably pretty confused by that statement because it hadn't happened yet. You and I know exactly what he was talking about. He was referring to his own death and resurrection. 
he was referring to the fact that the wolves of sin and death had been unleashed on this earth. And Satan, the ultimate thief of life and freedom, had snuck in over the fence, had climbed into the sheep pen of this world in an unauthorized manner. And they were about to be dealt with. A reckoning was coming. And Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for this rescue mission. For the sake of Israel, and in fact, for all the other sheep in another sheep pen that he referred to in verse 16. The other sheep, the other sheep of the other sheep pen, those are you and me. And in fact, the entire world that God so loved. He laid down his life willingly, overthrowing death and sin. And he was resurrected that we might live the abundant life that God designed us to live. The life that God meant for us. The life of health and wholeness and freedom under the protection of the one who knows our name. He leads us down the best paths to the best pastures. And he heals the wounds that we suffer along the way. As we journey through life. So who is Jesus? What is he like? He is the good shepherd. He always has our best interest in mind. And we can trust him. And as we sang earlier. We can do so in a way. In which fear does not enter into the equation. We are not slaves to fear. We have nothing to fear from our shepherd. He, in fact, is leading us, healing us, and protecting us as we go about our lives. Let's pray.